This episode is dedicated to Dustin Madalone, Silverstrand Beach, Oxnard, California. Rest in peace. One hundred and eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking hardcore. Actually, we're talking nineties punk, which is something I'm pretty excited about. I've wanted to do this for a while. We got a lineup of heavy hitters to break into this. Helping out, you know him, you love him. He is the best dressed man on the pod. He is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, he had to. He had to jack Ben's. Also helping out, it is Ben Merlis, aka Ben Edge, aka Badge. What's up, Ben? Gotta keep him separated. <laughs> there you go. We're gonna get there. <laughs> also helping out, it is Anthony Papalardo. What's up, Pops? Chilling, man. Like uh thank you again for having me on. Of course. Yeah, so, you know, this is something we haven't talked about. And, you know, we're over 150 episodes. And it is just like a crazy cultural phenomenon. The fact that, like, punk breaks into the mainstream in 1994 with Green Day and Offspring and a plethora of others. And I wanted to dive into it because, like, recently I went back and I listened to those two albums, right? Dookie and, and Smash. And I was like, what is it about these two albums that like connected and blew up? Cause they're, they're strange in their both ways. And we'll, we'll dive into them later in the show, but I want to talk about like that year 94 and what happens. The, uh, the green day album comes out in February of uh, 1994. And then the offspring album comes out in April of 94. But I think that green day success, like it takes off in the summer with uh, when they do the single basket case, which is like the second or the third single off the record. And uh, Ben, is that correct? Yeah, but I think Longview and Welcome to Paradise become hits maybe retroactively. I had trouble figuring out like when those songs started to become hits. Yeah, like Um, Longview is a first single and I remember it coming out, but it didn't like, and it was like, okay, Green Day is like in the mainstream purview now, but like the Basket Gay song like breaks it wide open. Um, And then I wanted to go to you first, Ben, because... There, there is like some discussion. In fact, there was even like a documentary that came out, right? Like the year punk broke, there was all like the alternative type bands. Um, and people basically a Sonic Youth documentary with Nirvana supporting them. Right. And so then some people say like, you know, is Nirvana breaking in like what? 91. Is that punk? Is that a precursor? Is it adjacent? What? And, uh, Ben, I wanted to shoot it to you, like your opinion on that. Well, the, the, that documentary, if you watch it, that it's Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth who says, 1991 is going to be uh, the year punk broke. And he's being completely sarcastic and he's saying it in a sarcastic voice. And I interpret it as sarcasm. And I'm in agreement that it's a joke to think that 1991 is the year punk broke because I was a punk rock 13 year old in 1991. And it was like, very strange for a kid to be a punk rocker. Flash forward three years, it's like the thing. And I think what happened with Nirvana and grunge is grunge is kind of like a mashup of hard rock and punk. A lot of the people who were doing it had like punk pedigree 
and they were leaning into hard rock. I mean, we know that that's a thing that a lot of punk bands did. You know, Black Flag did it. Circle Jerks did it. DYS, SSD, you know, all these other bands. But it worked when the Seattle bands did it. I mean, commercially it worked. And um, so it kind of, when Nirvana gets big in 91, it acclimates the public for harder, more aggressive music coming out of hair metal. And so it's more, it's kind of a more difficult mental leap to go from like poison to offspring without having Nirvana in between as that middle step, that like stepping stone for like your average, you know, radio MTV listening norm to like understand this kind of music or, or accept it. And then the other thing that Nirvana did was they got so big so fast that all these A&R people from different major record labels were looking for the next Nirvana. Like they, any one of these people you talk to, they're like, everyone was looking for, quote, the next Nirvana, unquote, which means kind of like any left of center band, alt rock band, punk band sometimes. It doesn't really matter. Just kind of like not hair metal. <laughs> and um, so there was this tidal wave of record of major record label signings from 91 to uh, probably 96 or so where all these bands got through. Most of them didn't succeed. And so getting through the door are bands like green day who are traditionally punk sounding bands, bands that we think of as punk bands. I mean, not ethically punk. You could argue all day about that, but like, okay, punk bands got signed to majors, but it really had to do with, you know, these people trying to find the next Nirvana. So there's, so there's two things. It's like, this is how these bands were able to get signed. And then this is also how the public was able to accept them. Um, right. And, so and, and diving say- in, Dan, diving in to like Nirvana though, like what that does is when we're talking about like the musical transition away from like a band like Poison, you are showing like that there's a stripped down band that can write, you know, three minute or sub three minute songs have no guitar solos and be like the most popular band in the world. Right. So it is like a little bit of like the lubing of the engine for like punk to be ready. And while they don't find the next Nirvana, they find this other thing that is like, you know, I guess sonically not completely the same, but in that aspect, like you're writing simple three minute songs with no guitar solos, it's more in like the vocal hooks and so forth. Like it's there. It's like very similar in that way. Um, and in fact, in listening to the Green Day and Offspring records, there are hits by both these bands that are very similar to Nirvana, which I never thought of before. But we'll get to them when we get to that segment. But it's it's even more – there's even more of a connection than I even had thought before. And I don't know if this is pure coincidence, but Kurt Cobain killed himself in April of 94. And that's exactly when that offspring album comes out. And like we said, green day came out in February, but people weren't rocking it until later, maybe the spring going into the summer. So I have no idea if that's like sheer coincidence that, you know, Nirvana ending at that moment led to the rise of these bands, or if it was going to happen anyway. Um, I think that like maybe Kurt Cobain was like an offspring super fan and he's like, fuck, they made a ska song and then he's killed himself. (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing. Dan, what's your take? (laughs) Well, I think what Ben's saying is 
has you know a vast amount of validity into the building blocks of this but i feel like it is one finger out of four that make this hand that pushes up punk to break so nirvana and the anr like scramble that's huge but also jane's addiction and alt radio also having an anr scramble so Jane's Addiction come essentially out of what some people might say is a punk scene, even though it, it, you know, us purists know it's not, but they're regarded as such quite a bit, you know. And then Lollapalooza allows these massive zeitgeist moments of all of this alternative underground to be spoken about in regular MTV news, MTV airplay, and then therefore get out onto these more alternative radio stations. So all of these acts that have been bubbling like underground that are hard music, you know, are starting to be discussed by Joe Schmo in the street because of these zeitgeist moments. So that's another uh, thing that's bubbling under this. That's like another building block into this. And then this, this, those magazines that were absolutely important, like print was gigantic, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. So when spin alternative press, even tower records was carrying like actual punk zines in their magazine section, you know? So all of these things are just all writing about things. And, you know, like in the early nineties before before Green Day and um, Offspring and and the rise of Epitaph like exploding like that, um, Alternative Press or Spin were doing articles on Fugazi or articles on Bad Religion and things like that. So they were they were like bubbling under the surface before like a a platinum a massive platinum selling LP. So I think there's a lot a lot of that goes to be in the building blocks of of where it then explodes. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to piggyback on the Jane Sedition thing, and I hate to go here because I think it's the worst band ever, but <laughs> do you think the Chili Peppers have something to do with this too? Like, is there another band where you're, you're getting away from like the butt rock and a lot of bands in like the late eighties, they go into kind of like that funk type stuff. And they're kind of in that alternative world where this is all percolating and it like yeah, allows I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because those weren't masculine bands, right? Like, so, like, Jane's Addiction specifically, like, kind of introduced gender fluid again. Like, not in the same way that, like, Bowie did it or whatever. But they kind of said, we can rock, but we're not, like, masculine. You know what I mean? Like, I think the Chili Peppers do the same thing in this, which is... It's kind of hard to explain, but it's like I'm a rock star, but I'm not like a badass guy smoking cigarettes doing it this way, right? It's like a little, it's a little vulnerable. And I think that vulnerability sets up this other thing. And kind of in a strange way, that's, that's what um, allows this to happen. Because if you think about, all these bands, right? Like, I mean, low self-esteem, right? <laughs> that song is about being vulnerable. Like, you can joke about it, whatever. But 
these bands that come in that usher in this new um, kind of sensibility, they're vulnerable bands. And I think, you know, like to, to say it, it's like the chili peppers, the chai peps do, they do do that. <laughs> like under the bridge is a very vulnerable song. And it's kind of like, it kind of sets up this, this new thing, which, you know, Nirvana, I think Nirvana of all those bands, right? Like, of the grunge bands, they're the most vulnerable band. And I think that's what, for whatever reason, I don't really like, uh, I didn't dig into it too much, but I think people wanted that vulnerability, you know, kind of in like an REM way or something, but it, it just, it just worked. And I think whatever the cultural sensibility was, people were ready for that. And like, we were, we were kind of done with like the machismo. Yeah, and I think that maybe Nirvana like becomes the biggest one because they also kick ass, right? So it's like people want a vulnerability, but they also like want music that rocks. And so that's kind of what you get here when punk breaks in '94. You have that vulnerability, like you're talking about, but then these bands also like rock. You know, it's not all I don't know. Well, like Pearl also, Jam is so sorry. Well, Nirvana sounds like a band that you could do yourself. I mean, yes. I think it's that simple. Like everyone's first band kind of like kind of sounds like nirvana it's kind of like very simple it's like oh we're just we're just kids like playing music and like it's kind of the best version of kids playing music (laughs) you know it's like very like it's very much like there's no pretense it's like oh this is just a thing we have now i'm not taking anything away from them they are masterful songwriters but there's something very tangible about what they're doing, which makes punk. That's why punk. Um, that that's why it um, it translates to people, right? Because it's very tangible, and I think in in a strange way, like you're not going to write a song as good as Kurt Cobain, but he makes you feel like you could, and that's why it feels like very salient. Well, I think that's a a, a really interesting points talking about the vulnerability i think what also comes along with uh, like jane's nirvana chili peppers etc is they are handling themselves in a much different way when they are interacting with the press and hope you know and more often like the actual fans that get to see them is the fact that you know they've all had some aspects of punk in their life and they have less of a veneer of bullshit that all the, the hair metal and all of the, you know, the Rolling Stones and whatever everyone else has been raised on to a a newer generation that's experiencing this stuff. They're seeing like almost like a accessibility that comes with like a lack of bullshit with punk. And I think, you know, that's a, uh, another firm building block to where it it goes that's I, a really great point daniel that's a really great point because those bands made it seem like that was accessible to you rather than um it being like the walls up like you can't get in here like those bands made it seem like yeah you could do this too yeah um, but what i'm I, curious about though is like why like why these two bands are the ones that break through and how is it that they get to be put on like the same level as like 
the biggest bands in the world, right? Because before there was like, you're looking up to rock stars and saying like, this is unattainable. Like you can't do it. Like you can't play like Eddie Van Halen. So you're not like going to be playing arenas because the masters of the craft get to play like the arenas, right? So like Nirvana, they get big. They're one of the biggest bands in the world. And then like, what is it that like for the general populace, like gives it the pass that like, you don't have to be a ripper anymore to like be a giant rock star. I don't think it's that, you know, like, uh, I'm actually like really stoked to talk about this because like being the only person from the East coast, there's always an American obsession with California, right? Like, it's just like, maybe as all Californians, you don't understand this, but like the rest of the world is like, where's the end of the United States. Right. And it's like surfing, skateboarding, good weather. This is like such a thing. Right. And now there hasn't been a California movement, right. There hasn't been a thing where America looks out to this thing. Right. And there's also, here's why I think this happened. So, there's surf. There's a new wave of surf videos. I believe the series was called Momentum, which was like a really big thing, right? But then yeah. Also, pops to jump in is Taylor Steele, Momentum, and he he has like that. Yeah, soundtrack. Momentum, right? Yep. For sure. So then there's like also these skate videos, and then like skateboarding videos become this thing. And what happened was, my friend Jacob Rosenberg, who did all the Plan B videos, he developed a relationship with Epitaph. Like he was just like calling up Mr. Brett. We want to use like a bad religion song. And then he said, well, what about the offspring? I don't know. Cool. So they use the offspring in these things. So these are earworms that like all these kids were hearing. And I think there was already like uh, people all over the world, right? Like not just the United States who are already like, we know who the offspring are. We know who Green Day is. We know who no effects is and uh, green day was included in the plan B video because of Rick Howard. Rick Howard was a big fan of green day, but these things were already happening. And so that same year, right? You have the warp tour starts in 1994 X games is about to happen. 95. What's that? Both of those started in 95. Okay. Well, sure. Anyways, but these things are happening where it's like the cultural moments are moving towards this idea of fun music where like, like there wasn't a warp tour for hair metal. Do you understand? So I think what was happening is like, there was just this idea that like, there's this, there's this fun thing and it's like grunge wasn't fun. That's why, like, it's it's cool. Like, people liked it, but it wasn't a fun thing where the average person is like, I can get on this. And I think that relief that, you know, maybe Green Day gave people was really important in, in just, like, psychologically. Where it's like, I'm not thinking about Jeremy. I'm just thinking <laughs> about fucking whatever. I sit around in my bedroom. Right. Yeah, uh, That's that's really important because – while the music wasn't fun, the people that are going to like the concerts, like Lollapalooza and shit, they're having fun, right? Like they're crowd surfing, they're slamming, they're doing whatever. Dan, you wanted to talk about a tie in 
of one reason why you think that Green Day broke, which is because they actually got put on Lollapalooza, right? Well, no, I think the it was bubbling up that they were popular, getting popular, like the record sales and stuff were letting them uh, get to a point where they can warrant that spot. Um, and then they got put from a side stage to open the main stage, which is just essentially crowning them because now they're playing in front of what? How, how many people do you think went to a, like 40,000 a show or something? Something like that. Yeah, just massive shows, right? So um, that was essentially what I think is the co-signing of like, yeah, this band is does have the buzz video on MTV, but now you get to see them completely destroy in person. And let's be honest, the main reason Green Day blows up more than any of the others is because it's catchy as hell and poppy and really easily digestible. Yeah, I mean, like, Green Day is a pastiche of pop music. Like, which, so something, like, there's this documentary, maybe you can link it. It's it's about 1994, and it never came out officially in theaters. It's a really good documentary. And Billy Joe talks about how much he loves Seven Seconds, <laughs> which is so funny, right? Like, but he's like, I also love the Beatles. So, I mean, they're a pastiche of pop music. And I think kind of in an interesting way, like they're from San Francisco, right? Like, so that's a kind of coastal elite. And then you have the offspring, which is kind of like maybe not red state, but like, they're a little more like that guy. They're that guy. You know what I mean? So at the same time, you have like these polarizing things of like um, people who are just like writing songs and from like, you know, San Francisco, a little more progressive. And then you also have like red state rock, which I think offspring are red state rock. And it just, it's kind of like, it's a coincidence thing, <laughs> but it, it works, right? Like it speaks to two types of minds. And I think what, I mean, Green Day, it's like, they're just, you can put those, you can put that band in any time frame. They write great songs. They, they, they just write great songs and those are going to work. So Pops, why do they break though off this and not like the, the previous album? Well, because it's on a major label. <laughs> like it's, it's on radio, you know, like it's getting put, it's getting put into the, the machine, right? Like as, as well as like Kerplunk's awesome. Right. But if it's not getting put into K-Rock, because K-Rock is the kind of the catalyst for all of this. If it's not getting put into major radio um, circulation, where then like other radio stations play what, like back then, right? Like I, I think we need to use a caveat. What K-Rock's programming is what Ohio says, oh, that's what we need to do. You know what I'm saying? So if, that blueprint is there and it's like, Oh, they broke there. They broke in a major radio place. Then the rest of the United States mimics that. And I think that's what happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. But let's, let's say like if Kerplunk went through like the major label machine and like, could, could Kerplunk and the previous offspring album ignition, like, could they have been it? Or is there something special about those two 
records that broke, like Dookie and Smash, that like make them special? Is it just that they go through the machine, or is it there's something special about these albums? They're more produced. I'm, just trying, to, I'm trying to figure out why like these two albums are the ones that broke it wide open. Like, it's they're just wild pro- to me. Yeah, they're way more slick than produced. Yeah, mm-hmm. the previous yeah. albums don't have that that radio friendly sheen on them that that these ones do. So I yeah, don't think it would happen. Reason, yeah, for some reason, Americans. The, the only band they like that sounds like shit is the White Stripes. I don't know why. For some <laughs> fucking odd reason. For real. For some odd reason, that's okay. The rest of them, no, it has to sound very big. And Kerplunk doesn't have that. It's I, I, I agree. It's like it has to be produced. And why Dan, is what's it- your take? Oh, wait, sorry. I would say... It, I mean, part of the machine, like what Anthony and Ben have both just touched on, is that you you get the radio pluggers, right? So they're going around and they are romancing program directors to give this record major spins, you know. And then you know, if if the fans latch onto it and start requesting it in their like countdown at nine or whatever, they know like it's they've made it, and then. There are those record um, radio things going around at Christmas time where you, you know, I saw Green Day in 94 on that Christmas time uh, thing where they, you know, it was with Violent Femmes and Rollins Band and whatever that went around to every alt radio station in each city. What I will say is the Offspring one is interesting because I think they're just getting better and epitaph has more money so there's better production and things like that but with green day it is definitely let's take these incredible you know catchy almost 60s jangle pop punk songs that you write and then let's let's get a really good producer to work with you and make it so it's just going to appeal to everyone and it did yeah, and I think that combining like the fun thing that Pops was talking about also with like the festival circuit being so like critical then makes Green Day work, right? Because if you listen to Dookie, they have like a lot of jam parts on the record, which are terrible to listen to, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, on record, but like they're made for like it's almost like they're writing like this pop record. But then they have these parts that are made for them playing in front of 20,000 people. Like they yeah. work. It's like we can drag out these parts for as long as we want. And it's if you their, think about like. It's their live. I call it's their live at Leeds parts. They're trying to be the who. That's the impression I get. And I know they're big who fans. But yeah, I totally that's agree. A that great, too. That's a great call because you know what? Like they are emulating that. And I don't know. I think I think it takes a certain mind to be like, oh, we want we want that we want to be live at Leeds, right <laughs> and other bands just didn't have it and they they actually were like yeah no like we want we want to be rock stars whereas like maybe the buzzcocks didn't you know what i mean and like it's it's kind of like that uh that understanding of like we have an opportunity and we're going to go all in and like i think from everything i've i've learned they were just like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's just that commitment, right? 
Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, there was a mission statement in that band. We are going to, you know, they came out of Gilman. So essentially, we are going to betray what we believed in for glory, you know, and they went for it. Um, with what Zach says about like the jam parts and stuff, I don't know if any of you have seen Green Day in the last 15 years. You know, this is way after. They're you know when they're massive. I saw them with Blink on that co-headlining tour they did, and I swear to God, every single song breaks down into a call and response part to the crowd, like over and over again, like Dale, and just all this stuff in the middle of it. It's great for an arena, and I'm sure people get sights on it. But I thought it was un bearable but <laughs> it is all those parts you're talking about zach right but and, and think about it though in the context of the summer of 94 and them doing Lollapalooza, like they got to just be stealing it with this and it's wild foresight because they put it on this dookie album they don't know if they're gonna break or not right and and it's just not enjoyable to listen to on the record i don't think but i do think it would work in the live setting and then if you think about what happens at the end of the summer of that year when they play like the Woodstock event and that shit's on like pay-per-view. Like I was hanging out with a bunch of my metalhead friends that like got Woodstock, whatever that was, 94 on pay-per-view to like watch Metallica. And they come away from it saying like, yeah, my two favorite performances are Metallica and Green Day. And so you yeah. you have here like in the same year, like them putting out Dookie and now to a full crowd of people that like would never like this stuff being like, oh, Green Day at Lollapalooza was awesome. Because like they do that fucking one of those jam parts and are able to have this crazy like mud fight, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's also half of the reason though. You know, half the reason is that big mud fight, like and the way the charisma of Billy Joe going over the top of that, like talking to the crowd and like talking shit to him, but being extremely charismatic, that wins people over just as much as the music, I feel. Right, but you can't have a mud fight if it's bad religion. Like the song's already over. <laughs> like they do it, like they do it, in, like in between songs or something. Like it works because it's like the drummer and the bass player are like still jamming. It's like a part of the song, a part of the set, and it's like Absolutely. infectious. And like this is fun, and it's like we can go to a concert and have fun. Like I think that pops tapped into that, and it's like totally critical, right? Because maybe with like the Nirvanas and the Pearl Jams and stuff, like you're stripping away like the pretentiousness of like seventies and eighties rock. But you have, and you have a lot of people that want to go to shows and like get buck, but like the music's not fun. And then here this is, it's like, you can't accuse like Green Day and offspring of these bands of not being fun, especially in the live setting. Yeah. It's like, um, they're, they're fun the way hair metal was, but without the misogyny. And then they're, um, kind of like simple the way, you know, bands like Nirvana were. But they were, but they're fun. So it's kind of like, sort of a mashup of. It's kind of like the, the best of all worlds. I mean, not 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 to me, but <laughs> to a lot of people, like like the best of the best of both those worlds. Right. And so, still, what I I'm I'm so curious about this time frame, right? Because I think that we've all explained like why Green Day breaking makes sense, but why does like why does the Offspring break? Like, why are they the number? Because they have low self esteem, dude. Like, <laughs> it's, it's no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like, you're coming off like the bravado of like 
whatever these like uh think of like the sunset strip bands right they're all so like alpha of like i'm the coolest dude whatever and like no one can live up to that it's like you're not fucking brett michaels you're not vince neal you can't an average person can't be that but an average person could say yeah i have low self-esteem my girlfriend cheated on me like writing a song of that tempo about your girlfriend cheating on you it's fucking genius like that's very vulnerable and i think that's like why a lot of people were like, yeah, I fucking get that. Like my roommate at the time who like had good taste in music was like, that was his favorite song because that was his experience. And I think it's just that simple. Like people were like over the bravado over this. And it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then also keep them separated. Like every kid who, every kid who picked up an instrument the first thing you play is like, oh, we'll show you, we'll show you this Snake Charmer song, right? Yeah, like everyone knows that one, and it's just so like ingrained in your head. It's almost like it's almost like low hanging fruit. But I think, I mean, what, what's a barrier to to entry to like the offspring? You're you you're alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing there's nothing preventing you from liking the offspring. Whereas like other bands like well i'm not that dude i don't wear those clothes it's like no they're just some dudes also but okay ben go ahead the other thing about low self-esteem and i didn't even realize this until today it sounds like a nirvana song it's got quiet it's it's slow it's got quiet verses and it's got loud choruses it's totally like completely in the template of smells like teen spirit yeah and it also has the same baseline as like whatever that song is like, uh, there's a Nirvana song that is almost the same baseline. But okay. So maybe that's why those two break. Why does something like, so stranger than fiction comes out the same year, 94. Like, why does that not push through to this level or, or does it? It, well, it doesn't. Why, 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 why do people not, why do they like not like being smart? That's it, dude. It's too cerebral. Like maybe that's that's not a fun one, dude. You're not having a fun. Who has ever had a fun? Whoever did something fun to bad religion? Well, no, I would say. I mean, that is a a big part of it. Also, they don't look as alt, and they look older. Yeah. And then on top of it, bad religion is very monotone, whereas lots of highs and lows and catchy. Um, and the production is just better on like to to reel people in on Smash and on Dookie and and on uh, um, Rancid. Let's go. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, but let's go is too fast. Like it doesn't break like this. But if Outcome the Wolves comes out in ninety four instead of ninety five, does it hit? Like, is it the one, two, or three? Great no. question. We'll never know. I mean, I thought about Pennywise too. What if Penny Pennywise put out an album in '93 and in '95? Are Pennywise that different from The Offspring? And they're a lot closer to The Offspring than I had previously thought from listening to Smash. And like, maybe his voice is too monotone. Like, Greg Graffin is like the punk rock Gordon Lightfoot. You know, he it, it maybe that's all it is. And you have really bad religion inspired parts in The Offspring, and it's just done in a more radio friendly way and dump and of course less scholarly. So 
maybe that's all it is. It's hard to say like why one band does well and another one doesn't. And if, you know, these, you know, tiny things had been changed, what, what the outcome would have been. Yeah. But this is so fun for me to talk about. Like, yeah, I yeah. love it. We, we can go all night. Like, like, why does Battle Legion not hit like that? I mean, part well, of it is this out. Like, Strange of the Fiction sucks. I mean, that's part of it. It's like their first tanker record, you know, in my opinion. Um, but, I like well, it. I like it, but it's, yeah, there's something flat about it. And, um, I mean, I I actually wrote, like, how come it wasn't no effects? And the reason, the thing I could come up with was, no effects, there's something gross about them. Like they want to be gross and they kind of look gross. And like Green Day and Offspring look like physically clean people and they don't sing that much about gross stuff, even though Green Day's album is called Dookie. Um, so that might have been a put off for, I don't know, radio program directors or the public or no, MTV. I don't know. Um, but like the Muffs, they the reason Green Day picked their producer is because he did the Muffs record that came out the year before and they're a punk band and they're on Warner Brothers just like Green Day ended up being. Like, how come the Muffs didn't break? They're like, you know, a, a Kim Shattuck singing, very, very poppy, but maybe there's just something off-putting about them. I think, Ben, it just comes down to the songs. Like, the songs on Dookie and Smash are far better than they are to... And every man's ear, they are far better to listen to than Stranger Than Fixing. And the Muffs, like the Muffs, I've always thought, you know, oh, there's a song in there. But when you've got five singles or, you know, or, you know, four singles and then another song that just gets radio play because they've ran out of singles, you know, and they want to give you something new from these bands that are really just pulling people in. That's what it comes down to is the songwriting. I mean, I'm so, I'm just so huge. I'm just I so couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more because like Green Day, like they have like those songs just like from the second, like from the second they hit, they're, they're in your head. That's it. It's just that simple. They're great songs. Why did they get big? Cause they wrote great fucking songs. Like they wrote, Punk influenced rock, way better than the Ramones. There, I said it. Just there, it's like there's nothing to dissect. It's like they're just that good. Like Billy Joe Armstrong is just that good. And we can say like, why did this happen? It's like, why did it happen? Because that dude's that good. But I think we're. But I think we're in agreement with Green Day and why they break. I'm just so curious about like. That no one touches it, right? Because like, let's compare bands to the Offspring, then, right? Because I think Dookie sells like twenty million records. Offspring sells like eleven million, and so I'm I'm just so curious, like, about the the number twos and the number threes and the number fours, and like, I do think that if but but who are the number twos? Like, who's even like sniffing sniffing the throne? Like, well, Offspring is number two, so like, let's talk the number three. Like, what is the the number three band? It's gotta be Rancid. Let's go. It's gotta be. What's the hit off? Lesko has like one hit song, right? Salvation was a huge video. Right. That's the one. You know, I love that album. But like the thing that bangs about that album is it's just solid the whole way through. Like there's the hits are Salvation and then Outcome the Wolves is like, you know, half that fucking album is hits. That's why I'm curious. 
But I'm saying, like at the time, if we if we're talking about this becoming like a, I hate to say the word again because it sounds like I'm just being a fucking dork, but this is like a total total like zeitgeist moment, right? Where lots of bands are starting to get looked at in this in this post Green Day like exploding. So lots of bands are being pushed forward to get like radio play or articles written about them. And Rancid was getting tons of articles written about them. A, on the strength of like Salvation and, uh, you know, a couple other songs like radio uh, being like catchy, but on the other side of it being, here's these like charged hair, mohawk, like crazy people from uh, the same scene that Green Day came out of same last name are they related who knows billy joe armstrong tim armstrong you know (laughs) um it just carried a lot of cachet like on their looks and the way they presented themselves um you know i i feel like rancid was very much in the conversation at the time don't don't you yeah i think they're in the conversation but i think it was was more interesting is thinking about if outcome the wolves comes out in 94 instead of 95 and same with Pennywise about time their third LP like they slow down on it they have like some serious mid-tempo hits on that record and it's like again if that one hits a year earlier is everything different you know or by like 95 have we broken it wide open to where the people that want to like get into things like just people want to like Green Day and Offspring is the most popular and then other people like dive more into the music and now they're liking the whole epithet type thing and and going to warp tour like ben said warp tour starts in 95 it's like now it's just this whole thing where you have this whole section of music that's popular everything's elevated but nothing like hits these two tentpole bands or gets close i mean i'll t- i'll tell you this like pennywise aren't fun like if you're not a white dude you're you're not having fun to that music like women aren't having fun to that music like they're they're a great band. Like, I don't want to take anything away from them, but there's a reason why they're at the, they're the lowest of the totem pole of this whole thing, because it's, they're so specific. It's it's such a specific type of thing. It's like, if you like that band, right? Like if you're like, I ride for them, it's not really like, it's not like mainstream America. Like you're not having like, you're not hearing that at a party and being like, cool, unless you're at an Orange County party where everything's kind of fucking bad and a little dark and you're listening to bro him. Like, bro, it's called fucking bro him. It's not called women him. It's not a fun thing. That's why. That's, that's it. But how, yeah, how are, how are, uh, but how is Pennywise culturally different than the offspring? They're both. White dude bands from the suburbs, from Southern California. Because, because because the offspring are a little like they're they're not machismo. They're just kind of dorks. Okay. Pennywise is bravado. You're right. Right. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like yeah. Like I'm like they're they're just like a little more confrontational. Where the average person is like, yeah, I don't know about that, but the average person is like yeah i have low self-esteem whoa that happened to me otherwise yeah. is not vulnerable you're right you're right pops because actually offspring's hitting on two tiers then as well right if they come out yeah. the gate with like keep them separated like that's a fun fucking song 
you, people can't like accuse it of not being fun. And then you're right. There's all this vulnerability under it with like the self-esteem song and other things. And then they also tap into like very, like the youth angst as well. Right. Like some simple things that are kind of witty. Like they have this song about road rage. Like that's mm-hmm. something that like kind of everyone can tap into. Like, yeah, man, I'm driving. Like I'm pissed. <laughs> You know, yeah, but the, the keep them separated song also taps into, especially with their visual portrayal of it, it's like tapping into like gang violence, you know, which is huge within the hip hop scene of the of the early nineties, selling millions of records, plus so many films around the time. So it, it it's you know maybe interesting a few people on that level as well. Yeah, and if we, if we play it out a little bit, like, forward, was Pennywise going to write a song about, like, she? he asked for 13, but he got a 31? Like, <laughs> they're not doing that. They're not, like, those guys are not equipped to, like, do a song like that. Whereas the Offspring's like, yeah, that's that's actually what we do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. they, re- they rewrote Obla Deeb, Obla Da. And, like... They they were just like, yeah, we'll write a fucking Beatles song this way. We don't give a fuck. We're fucking dorks. And it's like, Pennywise isn't going to do that. No, no in bad, Well, in Bad Religion, is not either, right? Oh, yeah. no way in hell. You know, no bad, way in bad hell. Religion is not going to have like a Road Rage song, you know? So like, yeah, maybe it is just like the simplicity of the lyrics, like backed with like relatively simple melodic songs and then delivering in like the big room format. Like that's what did it. And you know, thinking about like Rancid, like those, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe there isn't a vulnerability in those lyrics or maybe there's not, I don't know. I, I love them. Dan- I also, I also think it's this, it's like, so all these people we're talking about, they're fans of the music that we love, right? They witness like most of them are older than us. Offspring uh, especially, noodles. right? Like they, like, yeah, noodles saw, uh, TSOL in the in the best version of TSOL. And then they just said like they synthesized these things that we think are really cool in a way that was more digestible to them like well what if TSOL was like what I liked. And that's like I can't do that man. No fucking way. But those guys can. They like and the same thing with Green Day. They're like they synthesized the things that were really cool do the replacements, whatever. Oh, what's my version of it? It's a little fartier. And they just made it really great. And, you know, that's that's how you make money. It's just, it's it's a conundrum for people because you're like, wh- why? And it's like, it's not that, you know, to think about it that much. It's just like, what's Americana want? They delivered it. Well, you know what I mean? Like, um. There's a great, well, it's not a great documentary, but it's informative. It's called Clockwork Orange County. And it's sort of like a really, mm-hmm. have you, either of you, any of you seen it? It's like a, about the Orange yeah, County I've punk scene. It. Yeah. And Jello yeah, B. Awesome. has this great quote towards the end of the documentary that I, that I quoted for the, the 1.5 piece. And I just want to read this quote again, because it co- relates exactly what we're talking about. He says, he's talking about the, the early eighties, you know, uh, Adolescents, Agent Orange, TSO, all kind of bands. He goes, these were hit records that didn't become radio hits because they weren't on corporate major 
labels. And if Rodney didn't play it, nobody would except the college stations. But in retrospect, it doesn't surprise me that the OC sound was kind of the cradle of what made bands like Bad Religion and later much bigger bands like Green Day and The Offspring, especially, openly trace their lineage to TSOL. They got big because finally the masses heard that type of punk sound. So there was this infectious, great, well-crafted songs, punk music that we know about because you know we're in the we're in the thick of it. TSOL, adolescence, Agent Orange, it's uh, early social distortion, but that shit was suppressed. Like there was no way for for, for the mainstream to hear it and then finally once they heard it it was like oh this music's great of course they heard it in a really watered down radio friendly version with that offspring album but you still obviously the influence is undeniable yeah i guess i just like well we'll talk about it when you talk about those two albums let's talk about what the lasting legacy of this is like the 94 punk explosion is it just that like it elevates punk out of like kind of a a darker period of like the late eighties, maybe early nineties. And it never like fully falls off again is, or is there like a, a lasting legacy of like these, these two tentpole bands like create lineages to other stuff or I don't know, because I, I don't know what comes out of green day and offspring. That's great. But I do know that like it's like 182 right there. Like the biggest band of all of them. I mean, actually green day. So sold more, but like they opened up like, like blink doesn't happen if green day doesn't get big. Right. And then after, after uh, blink One Eight Two, then you have all this other emo music. Right. So like that's to me, it's like the legacy is it opened up um, the average person to, to kind of like, like music, like the descendants, <laughs> like that didn't happen before. And I think that's like really important. Now, does any of that shit be cool? I don't care. But it opened up like it created a lane for a type of music that that the average consumer wouldn't appreciate. And then all of a sudden they did appreciate it. So to me, that's that's my statement on it. Right. So for your average show citizen, it gets presented in front of you. This is punk. And then because it's so in your face, if you want to dive into it, you can dive into it and you can figure out like the real, the real yeah, thick of it. Exactly. And, and like, and now like, let's look at it as a Testament, like these bands that were a little niche, now they can play festivals. So I think, I think those bands were like, they were just warming up the seat, right? Like of like, you're going to like, the, you're going to like, cause I mean, even think about TSOL, like, in 1994, how many people could they draw? In where we are now, how many people could they draw? That wouldn't have happened if these bands weren't warming up the seat, being like, yeah, no, like, this is the real shit. Yeah. Dan, what's your take on the legacy? Uh, the legacy is two-pronged. One, it allowed the generics across the world to realize there is an ability to be quote unquote, a rock star without having rock star tropes and with treating people with respect to an extent, you know, and presenting thoughtful topics in a 
pretty blunt, non-pretentious way. That's one side of it. The other side is the ability to reach into many rural and urban places where this music may never have come across somebody's path and then has allowed them to use this as a starting point and then go deep. And then four years later, they're doing a hardcore band putting out a seven inch of 300 pressed and, you know, they've done their deep dive into minor threat into black flag, blah, 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 etc. And now they're putting out raging pissed hardcore because this was their one little, you know, glimpse that started them off down that path. You know? Yeah, and we should say piggybacking on what you're saying, Daniel, like reaching into every part of America, Hot Topic has a lot to do with that as well, right? Because this is a oh, spot, yeah. you know, it's in the mall. It looks a little punk. You can go in there. You can buy your Green Day and your Offspring, but they're also going to have the Minor Threat discography, right? So it it is like a very easy catalyst to find this stuff, don't you think? Yeah, it becomes a commodity. Right. Yeah, and then Hot Topic is also, like, just to talk on them a minute, like, they were very important for, like, those those labels, like, of, like, the Hopeless Records level, you know, before they break with, like, the Event Sevenfolds and this stuff. But when they're doing, you know, 80 Fingers Louie bands like that, because a lot of stores would buy from labels only on consignment. And so that's a very vulnerable position to have your business in, right? Because you don't know really how much of your shit is selling, and like what your money guaranteed was, but Hot Topic would buy like upfront, you know, which was yeah. like kind of a rarity. Yeah. So it gave these labels like, you know, they knew how many Hot Topic was going to buy so they could press in in larger quantities and like take more chances on bands. So it's just an interesting little side note of this stuff. Um, ben, what's your opinion on the legacy? Man, that's a tough one. It's just, it's so vast. Like the the, the most direct thing would be it, it started the whole Warp Tour culture and the warp tour itself that a soundtrack for the x games and the whole you know tony hawk pro skater thing um and then um i guess it does mutate into emo by the early 2000s but yeah you see blink 182's continual success kind of on the back of the of this stuff and and these band these two bands are still huge they still make big records um but and and then like dan said you have pretty much i say most people i was born in 78 most people my age or younger these were the gateway bands into more underground punk and hardcore music and uh i guess that's it i'm trying to think if there's another like huge piece of the equation that none of us are 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 touching on but but I can't think of I it. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a huge one, but I do think it's very cool. Like I'm um, being honest, that Dexter, right, from the offspring starred Nitro to re re-release TSOL, right? To put like that's really nice, right? Like that this dude's like, I'm rich, I don't have to worry about shit, and I'm gonna re-release music and I'm gonna re and I'm gonna release other music that I think is cool, like well, that's very nice. There was there was there's a nice there's a backhanded element to it 
that I know of What's just, that? just from being friends with Lisa from Frontier. <laughs> oh, it's just biz just business shit. I mean, yeah, he brought that stuff to to the attention of I guess your your average um you know pop punk consumer, which is your point. Um there there was some there were some shenanigans uh financially behind the scenes, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, I mean that has this. nothing to do with that has nothing to do with the legacy. Right. Think about this legacy wise. Yeah, it's just super nice that he did that. (laughs) Well, think about this legacy wise, right? How many records did the Clash sell because of this? So many. How many records did Sex Pistols sell because of this explosion with this whole new generation? So many. You know? It even allowed the generic person to go back and dabble in in what is considered punk too. Totally. You know? Oh yeah. 100%. If, like if, people if, are, if, people... if 3% of 20 million people discover the buzzcocks, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, even aim higher, right? Like people are going from green day to the sex pistols, you know, just like a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the giant thing we missed here and then let's wrap up the segment is just that, you know, we talk about green day needing like the, the backing of the major and so forth, but, Offspring stays on Epitaph, and that is wild. It's like the biggest selling indie release ever, right, Ben? That's correct. Eleven million sold. Um, yeah, that, that's so that's yeah, that's it's it's an anomaly. Like the fact that they sold that many records on an independent label, it, it's never been done before or since. And uh, they did end up going to Columbia Records maybe in '96, but you know, that's yeah, they that's irrelevant. They did, but it, but it did show a lot of the bands like on that, like the Warp Tour circuit bands, like these fat and epitaph bands that like there is another option. You don't have to go the major label route. In fact, like you have bands like No Effects that were on Epitaph and eventually like Fat Mike just has them on fat, you know, and like does that whole thing. Or like you have Dexter doing the Nitro. You have like the labels coming up like the Hopelesses and the Fearlesses and and whatever. So it is like a giant break for like the indie thing as well. You know? Absolutely, because it it told these like smaller bands that like you could sell like ninety thousand records and be rich. Like no use for a name, dude. Like those guys made money, and they they weren't on a major, you know. And like that's really fucking cool that like they created a pipeline of like yeah, no, there's there's an audience, and you know what, you're actually indie indie um platinum you know right. what i mean like you know what i mean like yeah, that's yeah. really cool yeah yep. there's there's so many dave clark fives to the beatles you know a lot of these epitaph bands are the dave clark fives riding in on the british invasion you mm-hmm. know coattails that green day and offspring right but if you're riding those coattails on an indian you're getting a couple dollars a unit you're oh, styling exactly. You know, yeah. you're styling. You're not getting like no, seven pennies. Good, you're having a good fucking day. Right, right. The fight lasts for hours. Each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right, we're going head to head with the two punk albums that broke in '94. 
uh, broke it wide open. We're going Green Day Dookie versus Offspring Smash. Ben, which record's better, dude? All right, let's start with Smash. Um, Time to Relax is this um, kind of spoken word intro that predates Lifetime, Civ, and Dillinger 4, putting little talking samples from old records on their on their albums. So Offspring are trailblazers in this regard. And then we go into Nitro, Youth Energy. This is like wait, Penny... Wait, wait, ben, 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 are you going to do every single song? Yeah, is that bad? No, but l- let me just piggyback off you, because I do every single song, so... You do it, and I'll follow you. Oh, okay. So, time to relax. What do you have for that? Uh, it's just a stupid skit. It's a total bummer because this album would have started out pretty sick if it just started on that drum roll, the first song, the Nitro Youth Energy. But very of the time, right? Oh, let's do a skit, and it, it bookends. There's a skit at the beginning and the end. So they yeah, had a concept. A- it was just a shit concept. Yeah, but it's it's a little bit before its time. You know, all these other bands are doing it in '95 and a little later. Um, so <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, All right, on to the second song. Nitro Youth Energy. This is like Pennywise with John Bunch from Reason to Believe singing over it. Based on that description, this would be one of my five favorite songs ever. And yet it isn't. It's not bad, though. (laughs) I just said this is killer. And I rated all the songs because I I wanted to be objective of which one I like more here. So I gave everything like a school grade. And then I gave five points for an A, four points for a B, et cetera, et cetera. And then I averaged it out so I could choose. So Nitro Youth Energy, I just said killer, and I gave it an A. I'm being very generous in these grading. This is how I graduated high school, so I'm giving it back. All right, Ben, go on. Bad habit. Okay, Dexter's voice is obnoxious when you hear it naked like that. This is totally their version of Man and Machine by TSOL. It sounds more like Pennywise, though, but less good. When he swears, it totally has a 13-year-old kid, I'm swearing right now, so that makes me cool and tough vibe. Yeah, this is like tapping into that like teenage angst. Um, I gave this one a B, but I can totally see how like mad 16-year-olds out there, they're like, oh, that's so cool, because he says that uh, stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker, that part. like. That was probably put on repeat many times by many angsty 16-year-olds. Yeah. How many times have someone been sent to their room and they've just been blasting that down the stairs? <laughs> totally, dude. Totally. All, All right. right. Got to get away, Ben. Uh, the drum and bass intro is a total ripoff of I'm Tired of Life by TSOL. Listen to those back-to-back. It's crazy how much of a ripoff it is. The choruses are very similar to 21st Century Digital Boy by Bad Religion. The irony being Bad Religion re-recorded that song and put it, put it out this year and didn't do nearly as well as Offspring. But this wasn't the single, so not that big of a deal. No, it was actually the third single, I think. So there's the Cube oh, Separated, there's Self-Esteem, and then there's this one. And I actually like this song. I said it's a slow hit, has a good chorus, and I give it a B. All right, Genocide. Boring, but nothing I can really point to makes me seriously dislike it. Just dull. Um, that's all I've got. Uh, I said it's fast and it has a great lead and it's killer. That gets an A. Wow. Okay. Something to believe in. This is very close to being a good song, but the backup woes on the choruses are grating. Uh, fast, good, A. <laughs> All right, come out and play. This is not a typical Offspring song. 
and it's the first big hit. So I can totally see an alternate timeline where Offspring were one-hit wonders with a novelty song, this song. Um, The guitar lead is lifted from Agent Orange Bloodstains, the Middle Eastern-sounding solo. And I think Agent Orange owe a lot to Dick Dale. Um, This song is annoying. The one time I saw them, their friend who says, gotta keep them separated, was there up on stage with his own mic, and he was singing... Gotta keep them constipated. Hashtag fart rock. <laughs> uh, I said this is fun. He gets a B. Okay. Self-esteem. The other massive hit, hit on this album. It sounds like Nirvana, but less good than any one song on Nevermind. Okay. I'm tripling down on my Nirvana theory. This is slow and sucks. La, 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 D. <laughs> It'll be... A long time. Fake bad religion, especially how it slows down and does the rock part in the middle and then speeds up again. This could be on Suffer, but it's less good than any one song on Suffer. Fast, good, A. (laughs) Killboy, Powerhead. Pretty cool that they picked a relatively obscure band to cover. This is a a cover by the band The Digits. Still not very good. This is a 1.5 banger, dude. I give it an A. <laughs> All right. Go digits. Um, what happened to you? Ew. Offspring plays ska. I don't remember this. Awful. This is why Kurt K- Cobain killed himself. So that's a shame. And uh, yeah, I don't know. At least it's a straight edge ska song, Ben. And so we will upgrade it from a D to a C for you and Dan. What happened to you? You're not the same. And maybe it's a a reference to the lyric and filler. Um, All right. So alone. The guitar sounds like a race car. More bad words for tweens. Uh, This is fast and has those aggressive pick slides that uh, get called out in the Bad Religion book. (laughs) So, uh, but it does get a great deduction for those pointless yas on the fast part. It's all yeah or whatever. That's terrible. This one gets a B. Not the one. Is this song dot, dot, dot good? If I just imagine John Bunch singing instead of a white guy who went to Mexico and got his hair braided, I think I can actually enjoy this. I give this song a pass. It's good. <laughs> you think you got a braid in Mexico or you went on like a carnival cruise in like the Caribbean? Like, fuck it. <laughs> the first vendor just got him like, hey, man, you want your hair braided? Hell yeah. I kind of respect them for that. Uh this is killer and fast. It gets an A. Yeah, it's it's the best song on the album, and I don't remember ever hearing it before. Um, uh, Smash, the title track. I just think of a snowboarder drinking Mountain Dew. I'm not a trendy asshole. It's like faux rebel music. <laughs> yeah, this is killer. And like, there is an irony of of thinking about like them singing this to a big crowd and having everyone chant that, right? Like, Whatever. Hey, the song kicks ass. It gets an A. And so I wrote that my summary of Smash is this whole record sounds so clean and professional that it's a turnoff to my seasoned punk rock ears, but it makes sense that an entry-level punk record would have to sound polished like this. Um, should we just go to Dookie? Well, I think that it's, it's just interesting, Ben, you know, because it's something we talked about, right? Like the people that didn't listen to TSOL or or Agent Orange or whatever, like think about how much you just talked on this record saying like, oh, they put, they took this from this. They took this from this. Like that is pretty fucking cool. Um, 
no, let's let's send this to to Dan and Pops to give their takes on this before we go on to Green Day, since we're going to spend so much time again. Pops, what's your take on uh, this offspring record before we decide the head-to-head winners? It's a it's a great record. Like I mean, like you can't like you can't say it's a bad record, you know. Um, but if we're gonna go toe to toe, like Dookie is an awesome record. Like that's just like. I think that record is basically like guys who had all this, like um, they had all the experience and then they're like, okay, what do we do with that? And then just pop it, pop it, pop it. Right. They just keep coming up with great songs. I think I said, I don't, I I don't think they're comparable because I I think they're very different, but I mean, it's very hard to say, like, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I really don't have a comparison. Dookie is my take on that one, because also it's like a dog throwing shit at you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool that, like, someone paid for that, and you're like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to call this record Dookie. Fuck you. Like, that's pretty awesome. Fuck you. All right, Dan. Oh, whatever. They're cool. It's it's a good record, but it's pales in comparison. Anyways, no, I think that's fair. Dan, what's your take on uh, Offspring? And then you can do Dookie too. Me and Ben will finish. All right. Um, there's something about the song "Self Esteem." Now it is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like it is just unlistenable but at the time it was so listenable like it was so catchy so you just wanted to sing along with it you know and that is the standout of the lp in a historical sense but there i remember really liking this um LP at the time and I wasn't as familiar with their earlier stuff and it made me go back and listen to the album before it which I ended up liking a lot more than this one um but you know like gotta get away track um I mean there's there's a lot of schlock on here too though a lot of really embarrassing lyrics a lot of you know but it can all be summed up in one word. Noodles, exclamation point. Shout out to the God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta say, anything that Noodles is involved in, it's getting, a, it's getting the blue tick. Um, but, <laughs> but Dookie bodies this. Dookie completely bodies it. Even if, if like, for example, like on Dookie, you're just going to go off of the three like hits that destroy, destroy Smash, um, Basket Case, Longview, and Welcome to Paradise being my favorite of the three. Um, but the song She on Dookie, so good. FOD, you know, that was like, oh, they mean fuck off and die. Ooh so naughty <laughs> um when i come around man what a fucking track 
Um, Pulling Teeth, another great one. But, you know, and the the album opener, Burnout, so good. Um, If we're going head-to-head, I've got to have Dookie. Oh, that sounds yucky. Um, (laughs) Green Day beats Offspring, Blink-182, bodies them all. But we're not there yet. All right, Ben, let's dig into that Green Day record. All right. Before we move on to Green Day, I just wanted to point out that Tom Wilson is the producer of the Offspring Smash, and he is also the producer of Adolescence Blue Album, TSOL Dance With Me, Legal Weapon, the first Rick Agnew solo album, Christian Death, Dead Kennedys, uh, Vandals, DOA, Bad Religion, Youth Brigade, Social Distortion. It's like they got the guy for the music. They didn't just want to emulate the music that they grew up on. They wanted to get the guy who made the music, which I thought actually, was you know neat. what's interesting about that, Ben, that, that, that's saying that they wanted the person that made all these classic records. So it wasn't like they were going for a major label producer to do a major label hit album. They were just going for someone who did legendary stuff to make their music, hopefully be in that category. So, that's an interesting point when we talk about, you know, go back to thinking about when we were talking about how things broke. It wasn't like Epitaph were lining them up with a Jerry Finn or or something like that, you know? Right. No, it's them yeah. being very reverential again, which is awesome and like kind of a cool thing about the band. Right. I mean, they're on fucking Nemesis, dude. Shout out, yeah. Big Frank. Yep. Yep. Um, so, okay, Dookie, uh, Burnout. This is like a nursery rhyme. What have you got, Zach? Uh, catchy mid-tempo song. I give it an A. Having a blast. This sounds like decent lookout style punk. Maybe slightly above average. This dude's voice sucks, though. Catchy mid-tempo. Give it an A. Chump. <laughs> Chump. That's two A's. I, <laughs> Chump. I guess Green Day is more listenable than Offspring because I keep forgetting that I'm even listening to music and needing to rewind punk elevator music the breakdown part in this song is unnecessary they're probably trying to be the who okay i put this is an okay song mine and i took off a point at the end for the jam part so this gives a c (laughs) long view the breakthrough hit very quiet verses and very loud choruses hmm nirvana Shit, I did not make this connection until today. And I know the Pixies did it first, but I'm talking about big hits that norms were exposed to. People would always say, this song is about masturbation, like it was some big secret. The word masturbation is literally in the lyrics. This song isn't terrible. Well, Ben, if we are going off of what you have referenced earlier, trying to be the poo, the who, not the poo, um, the who... (laughs) Quiet parts, massive, explosive, uh, loud choruses. It's totally in that, like, it's in that Nirvana grunge trope, you know, like the soft verses hit the pedal. We're going heavy for the chorus. What's up, dude? Bounce. You know, yeah, but anyway. but like, I, I can see for miles, really quiet parts and then loud, explosive, like choruses. Well, right on. This song gets a meh, uh, plus <laughs> it lost another point. Because they do another jam dragger part at the end. So this gives a D. All right. Welcome to Paradise. The choruses have a 60s feel to them. That descending chord progression reminds me of For Your Love by the Yardbirds. The production is easy on the ears. 
easy listening punk. This is okay. It has another jam part in the middle, and uh, that's a point deduction. So this gets a C. Also, Clapton is a god damned idiot. Clapton, Clapton is a god. Earlier. Yeah, remember Clapton was in the Yardbirds? When yeah, yeah. Yep. In, and, I, and, you know, there's that famous graffiti, Clapton is a god. But earlier this week, I saw someone had graffitied it and it says, Clapton is a god. And then underneath it, damned idiot, because he's an anti vaxxer moron. Right. Well, Dan, do you know the difference between uh, a bag of cocaine and a baby? Eric Clapton would never drop a bag of coke out the window. <laughs> All right, Ben, let's go on. Pulling teeth. These guys seem to well actually did you tell us what you thought of Welcome to Paradise yet? I did. It has okay. it's a C. Okay. Pulling teeth. Um these guys seem to care more about quote unquote songcraft than the offspring. By that I mean they sound like they studied music that was made before the first Rodney on the Rock comp and made and music that was made outside the LA and Orange County borders. This song is pretty harmless and almost feels like it's not even there. Zero impact exercise. This is slow and it sucks. It gets a D. Basket case. Is it possible for punk to get any more poppy than this song? I don't believe so. I hear a little Billy Bragg New England in there, except this song is annoying and I don't like it. Do you have the time? Oh, come on. Uh, this song rules. It gets an A. She. It's a song, all right. <laughs> this is killer. It gets an A. Sassafras Roots. This is fine. Harmless. Toothless. Good. B. <laughs> <laughs> when I Come Around. This is a good song at its core, but it's played in a real lumpy lump 90s rock kind of way. With an annoying singer. I bet some British indie pop band circa 1986 would have done it justice, but time travel doesn't exist. Yawn C. Coming Clean. Good song. Of course, he had to throw in a mom and dad won't understand eye roll emoji. Decent B. Amenius Sleepus. This feels like filler. It's redundant. There are enough songs that sound like this on the record. This is okay, but it gets another point off for having a jam part. Gets a C. It gets uh, two points added for being proto Harry Potter, though. (laughs) (laughs) You had your own time, Dan. All right, moving on. In the end. In the end. If you're at a backyard party and the band starts playing a song that sounds like this, it's time to go home. What? It's time to slam. This is the fastest song on the record. I was going to say it's time to fucking chill. Dude, this song rips. It's killer. It's A. It's the best song on the record. Um, F.O.D. F.O.D. Is the CD on repeat? Haven't we heard this before? No, dude. You haven't heard 90 seconds of acoustic jam. This song gets a D. Um, and before I tell the last one coming clean I actually really do like that song I mean he says mom and dad won't understand which is kind of like okay yeah you're you you're appealing to little kids but I I really that's the the deep album cut that um 
I connected with on this album, just as I connected with that one deep album cut on the Offspring album. So I I came away from from this whole exercise a fan of of two songs that I don't remember ever having heard before. Last song, All By Myself, is a joke acoustic song, hashtag 90s. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I made a note for it. Let me check. Oh, acoustic, D. <laughs> um, here's my... My uh, general uh, takeaway from uh, Green Day Dookie, whatever the gender neutral term for balls is, Green Day doesn't have them. Both bands have annoying singers and plenty of okay sounding inoffensive songs. Offspring is for 13 year olds and Green Day is for eight year olds. This is really close, even though the worst song on either album is the Offspring ska song, Smash Beats Dookie. Because it makes me think of John Bunch, rest in peace. Shout out Noodles, you earn this. <laughs> uh, the word you're looking for is the word you're looking for is guts, Ben. That would be generally. I don't. I, I, I thought about that. I thought about that. I don't think guts has this. Guts is more like bravery, and balls is something a little different than that. I don't know. I'll, we'll figure it out eventually as as a culture. How That's patriarchal, fair. Ben? That's fair. Okay, so going to my spreadsheet. The, uh, the average for Offspring songs is a 4.2, and the average for Green Day songs is a 3.1. So we're split. I'm going Offspring as well, mostly because shout out to the god. Fucking what's <laughs> up? But uh, yeah, dude, we're split. This is ill. This is what I want to see. All right. Everyone, we'll post this later in the week. You got to let us know what you think. And you got to make a pick, dude, even if you don't like either. There are important records just because they are. What's up? All right. We are going to do a UFO for the quicksand album slip. Um, So basically the day of the recording of this album, Walter has been abducted by UFO and he cannot sing on the record. You can replace him with anyone from any era. And uh, Ben, who are you taking? All right. Um, when I lived with Mark Holcomb from Undertow, he told me that when the seaweed guitarist Clint Werner produced Undertow, he would tell the band, you guys could be big if you did more of a quicksand type thing. So let's put that shit to the test. John Pettibone from Undertow singing over the first quicksand album. I think it would work. They'd barely still be post-hardcore. Those aggro vocals would push them into hardcore proper territory. Maybe the songs would suffer a tiny bit melodically, but they would be just as powerful. And I was thinking about this. What's the closest thing to someone with that aggro of a voice singing over music that is somewhat like this? And I think Threadbare is pretty close. And I are, are any of you familiar with Threadbare? Of yeah, course. of course. Okay. Do you, do you do you see that? Not really. Okay, never mind then. But I still think yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say I feel you on that. But well, my pick is still John Pettibone from Undertow. I back that pick, dude. I did not think about that at all, and that's that's a pretty awesome pick. Going like straightforward, great hardcore voice over this. That's very interesting. Uh, Pops, what's your take on this? Okay, so I went through like kind of a lot of things on this one. I was like, well, 
you gotta have some New York City swagger. And I thought Richard Birkenhead, he might be able to do it, right? But then I was like, well, he's he's Aussie, right? So so I was like, yeah, no, Ozzy Ozzy sing on this one. That'd be fucking sick. And then I was like, no, that's an awful idea because Ozzy just sings the riffs, you know. Like he, Ozzy rules, right? But his <laughs> cadence, his cadence is just, I'm singing over thing that I do. Ooh, yep, terrible, right? So I was like, well, who's a fake? Who's a fake Ozzy, right? And I was like, Billy Pumpkin. Billy Pumpkin over Slip. That'd be really cool. And I was like, yeah, that's actually terrible too. I was like, Chris Cornell, that's the guy. Chris Cornell. That I mean, but he's also dead, so that's not gonna work. I was like, oh, okay. Ken Andrews. Ken Andrews of failure, right? That's a really good one. That's where I landed. I was like, that dude, failure is like kind of the West Coast quicksand to me. Very similar. Uh, we don't fit anywhere. We're kind of like spacey, cool. And then I was like, yeah, no, actually not. And I'm going with uh, Rick Fork. So that's my answer, Rick Fork. <laughs> right on. Dan, what's your take? Well, I should have gone first instead of letting Ben go first because my take is Dwid. Now, I love it. I what love the it. fuck? I okay. Let me jump in, dude. I didn't what? want to do this one because I don't like this record. You know, like I just I don't like any of this type of music really. And I know that people love it. I know it's important, and that's awesome. And also, Walter wrote "Start Today." You know, music and lyrics, right? Yes. It's like, dude, he should get carried around. Like, he should never have to call an Uber or a taxi cab ever again. Like, (laughs) we should walk him around New York City like he's the fucking Macho King Randy Savage. You know, it's like, where can we take you, Walter? Like, you're the king of the world. What's that? On a a litter. That's what those things are called. Yeah, we should carry him around on a litter. You know, this guy rules. And it's a bummer that I don't like this stuff. So I don't want to say anything bad about it. But, man, Disco Dwid, it's like... Because this was so hard for me to. You, like, you cut me off. I'm going to continue to say it. So you you finish your thing, then I'm coming back and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, Glenn Benton, go ahead. <laughs> no, say why you chose that and and what he would bring to it. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell? <laughs> You want a toe? I could get you a toe. You're you're straight up Walter in the coffee shopping me on Big Lebowski right now. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna stay here and finish my coffee. I cannot wait to hear this Dwid pitch. Let's do this. Okay. All right. So Dwid, like, imagine everyone right now can hear what head to wall sounds like in their head. You know, like Walter's doing relax and time like that. But imagine if it's like relaxer <laughs> like the total twin like breathy kind of vocals against that it would be so fucking sick also let's just say there's a song on the album called baphomet so you've got the twin connection right there um i think that range of going guttural low 
with the breathiness would really work on these staccato-y start-stop style riffs and would really add something and give you a whole different vibe of an album compared to what you get with Walter, which is pretty perfect as it is. So if we're going to reimagine it, let's reimagine it with a different vibe, and that's where I landed, Dwid singing on Quicksand Slip. FYI, I'd love to hear that record. Right? Right? Fucking, I'd love to hear that, dude. Like, Dwid singing on fucking Slip? I'm there for it. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, but Dan's only, he's only willing to turn this up to seven. You know, and I'm turning it up to 11 and going Glenn Benton. I'm raising Dwid with Glenn and, uh, yeah, the upside down cross in the forehead, dude. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, I'm fucking so with you on that one. <laughs> fucking actually, I love that. Yeah. I was just, you know, I always wonder like, what would it sound like if, uh, you know, Chris Barnes sang for Lagwagon? Like, what would that be? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, this, I don't know. It would work. I, I love like both. I love all the ideas, right? Like the Pettibone one is the most intriguing to me, I think, just because straight, good, hardcore vocals over something that like is kind of groovy. Like, but I, when I listen to this album, I don't think that the reason why I don't like it is because of the vocals, but maybe it is like an element, you know, that just makes it like kind of boring. And it just sounds like alternative rock to me. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe we should do a segment at some point because I know that this is a classic album that a lot of people love. We should do something where like one of you guys pitches this to me, why this is like so special. And I should like what makes it different than, I don't know, listening to Allison chains or Pearl jam. Sorry. I mean, that's just, that's what I get like this alternative bucket. Like I just don't like it that much. And so I don't really understand it or know like how to pick out the good stuff and the bad stuff just cause it's not appealing to me. I don't know, Dan, maybe you should tell me why this is so special right now. It has an absolute groove to it, underlining the guitars doing the stutter, start-stop stuff. Um, it, but yeah, it's that rhythm section, Cage and Sergio, like underlying this whole thing. Like I really think it offers so much more difference than the bands that you mentioned. Um I th- I think it's fantastic. The one thing I will say is that maybe it's a little bit samey, you know. But and then you add on like if you get the vinyl version and get the how soon is now cover, that just adds just such a little cherry on top that makes it so amazing because it's a total reimagination of that song and it's done s- with so much love and and it's really great. Pops, why is this better than Alice in Chains? Well, I'll tell you. Alice in Chains is a band that, like, they're 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 rocking, right? They're they're rocking out, which is fine. Dude, Alice in Chains is awesome. Quicksand is a very special band because they were playing rock music in a way that, like, wasn't uh, was very cognizant. They're like. We're playing rock music, but we think rock music sucks. That band rules, dude. Like when you're doing that, when you're in that, you're looking, you're like, rock music sucks, but also we're doing it. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, there's a there's band. a corn there's a corniness to Alice in Chains that there isn't in Quicksand. Like there's 
like i'm the man in the box there's nothing corny about quicksand like you can like it or not like it but it's not cheesy like allison chains is yeah it's just very honest it's like yo we're we're doing it like we're we're going big riffs but if you don't like it you can't tell me we're corny you know what it's like you could I think it's kind of like if Tool was good. Like Tool are like fake intelligent rock music. Like they're not really smart. They just convince stupid people that they're smart. Like this actually is intelligent. I have to stop you, Ben. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Because like <laughs> it's so true. If you like Tool, you're a Tool dude. Like that's like a good day for you. You're like, you know, yeah, this is like you. Probably an anti-vaxxer. You like Tool. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. I think if I'd just rather like listen Quick- to Ben shit talk Tool. Dude, they're the worst band. They're one of the worst ba- They're a jam band that actually sucks. <laughs> but they're <laughs> well, name a good jam band. <laughs> no, they're not good on any level. Like, okay, number one, like the number one thing I, I'll tell you about Tool is that. The, <laughs> The main dude is a fucking ex. Like he sucks, dude. He's a pedophile. Okay, yeah, look- cor- correct, friend. Correct. Friend. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that's, the, that's, this, that's the reason that's a I big can reason not like him. Why is he? Why is he not in jail? Um, because he's rich. <laughs> I mean, it's like not that hard to figure out. But that being said, that band sucks, dude. The tool, like, wow, I don't really like him. <laughs> All right, dude. You got. You're going on a road trip, pops. You can only listen to the Chili Peps or Tool. Oh, I'm going Chili Peps all day, dude. Ben, what are you taking? Tool, 100. percent No question. Really? Oh yeah. Really? The really Red Hot Chili Peppers is the worst band ever, tied with uh, Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh, you're you actually are right on that. I made a bad choice on that one. Um, the Chili Peppers are the worst, tied with post '90s Aerosmith. A fun fact about Tool uh, is that their first EP, Opiate, is produced by Steve Hansgen of the band Minor Threat. How about that? And <laughs> chili, chili Peps for Tool. And then let's wrap this shit. Chili Peppers by a billion miles. Chili Peppers have got tracks. <laughs> they really do. Never- how many times are you going to listen to no, no, I, I, I That's fucking actually sick. I only, I only like new peps. Oh, I need dude. like some scar oh, tissue, yeah. some Californication. <laughs> like, Those are great tunes, dude. That's where scar I'm tissue. going. Yeah. I'm with you on that, dude. Scar yeah. tissue? Wow, I'm like tearing up right now. All right, I'm blowing <laughs> up this pod right now. It's over. We'll talk to you all next Monday. Fuck it. <laughs>